Section 10 of The Black Prophet by William Carlton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 10. The Prophet pursued his way to Dick of the Granges, whither indeed he was bent. Sarah, having looked after him for a moment with a troubled face, proceeded in the direction of old Dalton's, with the sufferings and pitiable circumstances of whose family she was already but too well acquainted. Her journey across the country presented her with little else than records of death, suffering, and outrage. Along the roads the funerals were so frequent that, in general, they excited no particular notice. They could, in fact, scarcely be termed funerals, inasmuch as they were now nothing more than squalid and meagre-looking knots of those who were immediately related to the deceased, hurrying onward with reckless speed and disturbed looks to the churchyard, where their melancholy burden was hastily covered up with scarcely any exhibition of that simple and affecting decorum, or of those sacred and natural sorrows which in other circumstances throw their tender but solemn light over the last offices of death. As she went along, new and more startling objects of distress attracted her notice. In dry and sheltered places she observed little temporary sheds which, in consequence of the dreadful panic which always accompanies an epidemic in Ireland, had to a timid imagination something fearful about them, especially when it was considered that death and contagion were then at work in them in such terrible shapes. To Sarah, however, they had no terrors. So far from that, a great portion of the day was spent by her in relieving their wretched and, in many cases, dying inmates as well as she could. She brought them water, lit fires for them, fixed up their shed, and even begged aid for them from the neighbors around, and, as far as she could, did everything to ease their pain or smooth their last moment by the consolation of her sympathy. If she met a family on the highway, worn with either illness or fatigue, perhaps an unhappy mother, surrounded by a helpless brood, bearing, or rather tottering, under a couple of sick children who were unable to walk, she herself perhaps also ill, as was often the case, she would instantly take one of them out of the poor creature's arms and carry it in her own as far as she happened to go in that direction, utterly careless of contagion or all other consequences. In this way was she engaged towards evening when, at a turn of the road, she was met by a large crowd of rioters headed by Red Roddy, Tom Dalton, and many others in the parish who were remarkable only for a tendency to ruffianism and outrage. For we may remark here that on occasions such as we are describing, it is generally those who have suffered least and have but little or nothing to complain of that lead the misguided and thoughtless people into crime and ultimately into punishment the change that had come over young dalton was frightful he was not half his former size his clothes were now in rags his beard grown his whole aspect and appearance that of some miscreant in whom it was difficult to say whether the ruffian or the idiot predominated the most. He appeared now in his glory, frantic and destructive, but amidst all this driveling impetuosity it was not difficult to detect some desperate and unshaken purpose in his heavy but violent and bloodshot eyes. Far different from him was Red Roddy, who headed his own section of them with an easy but knowing swagger, now nodding his head with some wonderful purpose which nobody could understand, or winking at some acquaintance with an indefinite meaning that set them guessing at it in vain. It was easy to see that he was a knave, 
but one of those knaves on whom no earthly reliance could be placed, and who would betray to-morrow for good reasons, and without a moment's hesitation those whom he had corrupted to-day. "'Come, Tom,' said Roddy, "'we have scattered a few of the meal-monging vagabonds. "'Weren't you talking about that blessed votin old Darby Scanadra, "'the villain that allowed Peggy Murtaugh and her child to starve to death? "'Aren't we to pay him a visit?' "'Dalton coughed several times to clear his throat, "'a settled hoarseness having given a frightful hollowness to his voice. "'Aye,' said he, "'ha, ha, ha! "'By the broken heart she died of. "'Well, well, eh, Roddy, what are we to do to him?' "'Roddy looked significantly at the crowd and grinned, "'and touched his forehead and pointed at Dalton. "'That boy's up to everything,' said he. "'He's the man to lead us all. Ha, ha!' "'Never mind laughing at him anyway,' observed one of his friends. "'Maybe if you suffered what he did, poor fellow, and his family too, "'that it's not fun you'd be making of him.' "'Why?' asked a newcomer. "'What's wrong with him?' "'He's not at himself,' replied the other. "'Ever since he had the fever, that they say, and the death of a very pretty girl he was going to be married to, "'has put him beside himself, the Lord save us.' "'Come on now,' shouted Tom in his terrible voice. "'Here's the greatest of all before us still. "'Who wants meal now? "'Come on, I say. "'Ha, ha, ha! "'Is there any of you hungry? "'Is there any of you going to die for want of food? "'Now's your time. "'Ho, ho! "'Now, Peggy, now, ain't I doing it? "'I am I, and it's all for your sake, Peggy, dear, "'for I swore by the broken heart,' you died of i and didn't i tell you that last night on your grave where i slept no he wouldn't he wouldn't but now now he'll see the differ i and feel it too come on he shouted who's ever hungry follow me ha 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 this idiotic but ferocious laugh echoing such a dreadful purpose was appalling but the people who knew what he had suffered only felt it as a more forcible incentive to outrage. Darby's residence was now quite at hand, and in a few minutes it was surrounded by such a multitude, both of men and women, as no other occasion could ever bring together. The people were, in fact, almost lost in their own garments. Some were without coats or waistcoats to protect them from the elements, having been forced, poor wretches, to part with them for food. Others had nightcaps or handkerchiefs upon their head instead of hats, a certain proof that they were only in a state of convalescence from fever. The women stood with disheveled hair, some of them half-naked, and others leading their children about or bearing them in their arms. Altogether they presented such an appearance as was enough to wring the benevolent heart with compassion and sorrow for their sufferings. On arriving at Darby's house they found it closed, but not deserted. At first Tom Dalton knocked, and desired the door to be open, but the women who were present, whether with shame or with honour to the sex, we are at a loss to say, felt so eager on the occasion, probably for the purpose of avenging Peggy Murtaugh, that they lost not a moment in shivering in the windows, and attacking the house with stones and missiles of every description. In a few minutes the movement became so general and simultaneous that the premises were a perfect wreck, and nothing was to be seen but meal and flour and food of every description, either borne off by the hungry crowd or scattered most wickedly and wantonly through the streets, while in the very midst of the tumult tom dalton was seen dragging poor darby out by the throat and over to the centre of the street now said he here i have you at last ha 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 his voice by the way as he spoke and laughed had become fearfully deep and hollow now peggy dear didn't i swear it by the broken heart you died of i said and i'll keep that sacred oath darlin 
While speaking, the thin, fleshless face of the miser was becoming black. His eyes were getting bloodshot, and in a very short time strangulation must have closed his wretched existence, when a young and tall female threw herself by a bound upon Dalton, whom she caught by the throat precisely as he himself had caught Darby. It was Sarah who saw that there was but little time to lose in order to save the wretch's life. Her grip was so effectual that Dalton was obliged to relax his hold upon the other for the purpose of defending himself. "'Who is this?' said he. "'Let me go. You had better till I have his life. Let me go, I say.' "'It's one,' she replied, "'that's not afeard, but ashamed of you. You, a young man, to go strangle a weak, helpless old creature that hasn't strength or breath to defend himself no more than a child.' "'Didn't he starve, Peggy Murtaugh?' replied Tom. "'Ha, ha, ha! Didn't he starve her and her child?' "'No,' she replied aloud, and with glowing cheeks. "'It's false. It wasn't he but yourself that starved her and her child. Who deserted her? Who brought her to shame and to sorrow in her own heart and in the eyes of the world? Who left her to the bitter and vile tongues of the whole country?' who refused to marry her, and kept her so that she couldn't raise her face before her fellow-creatures, who sent her without hope or any expectation of happiness in this life, this miserable life, to the glens and lonely ditches about the neighborhood, where she did nothing but shed bitter tears of despair and shame at the heartless lot you brought her to, and when she was deserted by the wide world and hadn't a friendly face to look to but god's and when one kind word from your lips would give her hope and comfort and happiness where were you and where was that kind word that would have saved her let the old man go you unmanly coward it wasn't him that starved her it was yourself that starved her and broke her heart did you hear that said dalton ha 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 and it's all true she has told me nothing but the truth. Here, then, take the old vagabond away with you, and do what you like with him. I'm a bold and a rambling boy, my lodgings in the Isle of Troy. A rambling boy, although I'll be, I'll leave them all and folly thee. Ha, ha, ha! But come, boys, pull away. We'll finish the wreck of this house at any rate. "'Wreck away,' said Sarah. "'I have nothing to do with that, but I think them women, man-women I ought to call them, might consider that there's many a starving mouth that would be glad to have a little of what they are throwing about so shamefully. Do you come with me, Darby? I'll save you as far as I can, and as long as I am able.' "'I will, Ockera,' replied Darby, "'and may God bless you, for you have saved my life. "'But why should they attack me? "'Sure the world knows, and God knows, that my heart bleeds.' "'Shh!' she exclaimed. "'The world and God both know it's a lie. "'If you say your heart bleeds for anything "'but the destruction that you see on your place. "'If you had given Peggy Murtaugh the meal, "'she might be a living woman to-day.' So no more falsehoods now, or I'll turn you back to Tom Dalton's clutches. No, then, replied the trembling wretch, I won't. But between you and me, then, and it needn't go any farther, truth my heart bleeds for the severity that's one word more, she replied, and I'll leave you to what you'll get. Sarah's inference had a singular effect upon the crowd. The female portion of it, having reflected upon her words, soon felt and acknowledged their truth because they involved a principle of justice and affection to their sex while the men without annexing any moral consideration to the matter felt themselves influenced by her exquisite figure and great beauty she's the black prophet's daughter exclaimed the women and if the devil was in her she told dom dalton nothing but the truth at any rate and they say the devil is in her the lord save us if ever he was in any one keep away from her my soul in heaven but she'd think no more of tearing your eyes out or sticking you with a case knife than you would have eaten bread and butter blessed father exclaimed another did you see the brightness of her eyes while she was speaking 
no matter what she is said a young fellow beside them the devil a prettier creature ever was made by my soul i only wish i had a thousand pounds i wouldn't be long without a wife at any rate the crowd having wrecked skinadra's dwelling and carried off and destroyed almost his whole stock of provisions now proceeded in a different direction with the intention of paying a similar visit to some similar character sarah and darby for he durst not venture for the present towards his own house now took their way to the cabin of old condy dalton where they arrived just in time to find the house surrounded by the officers of justice and some military ah thought sarah on seeing them it is done then and you lost but a little time about it may god forgive you father they had scarcely entered when one of the officers pulling out a paper looked at it and asked isn't your name condy or cornelius dalton that is my name said the old man i arrest you then he continued for the murder of one bartholomew sullivan it is the will of god replied the old man while the tears flowed down his cheeks it's god's will and i won't conceal it any longer take me away i'm guilty i'm guilty chapter twenty one condy dalton goes to prison the scene that presented itself in condy dalton's miserable cabin was one indeed which might well harrow any heart not utterly callous to human sympathy the unhappy old man had been sitting in the armchair we have alluded to his chin resting on his breast and his mind apparently absorbed in deep and painful reflection when the officers of justice entered many of our landlord readers and all probably of our absentee ones will in the simplicity of their ignorance regarding the actual state of the lower classes most likely take it for granted that the picture we are about to draw exists nowhere but in our own imagination would to god that it were so gladly and willingly would we take to ourselves all the shame acknowledge all the falsehood pay the highest penalty for all the moral guilt of our misrepresentations provided only any one acquainted with the country could prove to us that we are wrong change our nature or in other words falsify the evidence of our senses and obliterate our experience of the truths we are describing old dalton was sitting as we have said in the only memorial of his former respectability now left him the old armchair when the men bearing the warrant for his arrest presented themselves the rain was pouring down in that close dark and incessant fall which gives scarcely any hope of its ending and throws the heart into that anxious and gloomy state which every one can feel and perhaps no one describe the cabin in which the daltons now lived was of the poorest description when ejected from their large holding by dick of the grange or in other words or auctioned out they were unhappily at a loss where to find a place in which they could take a temporary refuge a kind neighbor who happened to have the cabin in question lying unoccupied or rather waste upon his hands made them an offer of it not as he said in the expectation that they could live in it for any length of time but merely until they could provide themselves with a more comfortable and suitable abode he wished he added it was better for their sakes and sorry he was to see such a family brought so low as to live in it at all alas he knew not at the time how deeply the unfortunate family in question were steeped in distress and poverty they accepted this miserable cabin but in spite of every effort to improve their condition days weeks and months passed and still found them unable to make a change for the better when darby and sarah entered they found young con who had now relapsed lying in one corner of the cabin on a wretched shake-down bed of damp straw while on another of the same description lay his amiable and affectionate sister nancy the cabin stood as we have said in a low moist situation the floor of it 
being actually lower, which is a common case, than the ground about it outside. It served, however, as a receptacle for the damp and underwater, which the incessant downpouring of rain during the whole season had occasioned. It was therefore dangerous to tread upon the floor. It was so soft and slippery. The rain, which fell heavily, now came down through the roof in so many places that they were forced to put under it such vessels as they could spare, not even excepting the beds over each of which were placed old clothes, doubled up under dishes, pots, and little bowls, in order, if possible, to keep them dry. The house, if such could be called, was almost destitute of furniture, nothing but a few pots, dishes, wooden noggins, some spoons, and some stools being their principal furniture, with the exception of one standing short-posted bed in a corner near the fire. There, then, in that low, damp, dark, pestilential crawl, without chimney or window, sat the old man who, notwithstanding its squalid misery, could have looked upon it as a palace, had he been able to say to his own heart, I am not a murderer. There, we say, he sat alone, surrounded by pestilence and famine in their most fearful shapes, listening to the moanings of his sick family and the ceaseless dropping of the rain, which fell into vessels that were placed to receive it. Mrs. Dalton was out, a term which was used in the bitter misery of the period to indicate that the person to whom it applied had been driven to the last resource of mendicancy, and his other daughter Mary had gone to a neighbor's house to beg a little fire. As the old man uttered the words, no language could describe the misery which was depicted on his countenance. Take me, he exclaimed, ah, no, for then what will become of these, pointing to his son and daughter who were sick? The very minions of the law felt for him, and the chief of them said in a voice of kindness and compassion, it is a distressing case, but if you'll be guided by me, you won't say anything that may be brought against you. I was never engaged, said he, looking towards Darby and Sarah, to whom he partly addressed his discourse in anything so painful as this, a man of his age, now after so many years. However, well, it can't be helped, we must do our duty." "'Where is the rest of your family?' asked another of them. "'Is this young woman a daughter of yours?' "'Not at all,' replied a third. "'This is a daughter of the black prophet himself, and by japers. "'You hardened gypsy, it's a little too bad for you to come to see "'how your blasted old father's work gets done. "'It's his evidence that's bringing this decent old man "'from his family to a goal this miserable evening.' be off out of this i desire you i wonder you're not ashamed to be present here above all places in the world you brazen devil sarah's whole soul however in all its best and noblest sympathies had passed into and mingled with this scene of unparalleled misery which was then before her she went rapidly to the bed in which young con was stretched stooped down and looking closely at him perceived that he was in a broken and painful slumber she then passed to that in which his sister lay and saw that she was also asleep after a glance at each she rubbed her hands with a kind of wild satisfaction and going up to old dalton exclaimed for she had not heard a syllable of the language used towards her by the officer of justice i said she laying her hand upon his white hairs. You are to be pitied this night, poor old man, but which of you, oh, which of you is to be pitied most? You or them, and your wife, too, and your other daughter, and your other son, too, but he's past understanding it. Oh, what will they do? At your age, too, at your age. Oh, couldn't you die? Couldn't you contrive some way to die? Couldn't you give one great struggle, and then break your heart as wantst, 
and forever. These words were uttered rapidly, but in a low and cautious voice, for she still feared to awaken those who slept. The old man had also been absorbed in his own misery, for he looked at her inquiringly and only replied, Poor girl, what is it you're saying? I'm bidding you to die, she replied. If you can, you needn't be afeard of God. He has punished you enough for the crime you have committed. Try and die if you can, or if you can't, oh, she exclaimed, I pray God that you, that he, there, and she ran and bent over young Con's bed for a moment, that you, that you may never recover or live to see what you must see. It's a fact that between hunger and this sickness, continued he who had addressed her last, they say, and I know, that there's a great number of people silly, but I think this lady is downright mad. What do you mean, you clip? Sarah stared at him impatiently, but without any anger. He doesn't hear me, she added, again putting her hand in a distracted manner upon Dalton's grey hair. No, no, but since it can't be so, there's not a minute to be lost. Oh, take him away now, she proceeded. Take him away while they're asleep, and before his wife and daughter comes home. Take him away now, and spare him, spare them. Spare them all as much sufferin' as you can. There's not much madness in that, Jack, returned one of them. I think it would be the best thing we could do. Are you ready to come now, Dalton? asked the man. Who's that? said the old man in a voice of indescribable woe and sorrow. Who's that was talkin' of a broken heart? Oh, God, he exclaimed, looking up to heaven with a look of intense agony. Support me support them and if it be your blessed will pity us all but above all things pity them o heavenly father and don't punish them for my sin it's false exclaimed sarah looking on dalton and reasoning apparently with herself he never committed a cold-blooded murder and the sullivans are are oh take him away she said still in a low rapid voice take him away come now she added approaching dalton again come while they're asleep and you'll save them and yourself much distress i'm not afeard of your wife for she can bear it if any wife could but i do your poor daughter and she's so weak and feeble after her illness come dalton looked at her and said who is this girl that seems to feel so much for me but whoever she is may god bless her for i feel that she's right take me away before they awaken oh she is right in every word she says for i'm not afeard of my wife her trust in god is too firm for anything to shake i'm ready but i fear i'll scarcely be able to walk all the way and such an evening too young woman will you break this business to these ones and to my wife as you can oh i will i will she replied as well as i can you did well to say so she added in a low voice to herself and i'll stay here with your sick family and watch and attend them whatever can be done by the like of me for them i'll do i'll i'll not leave them i'll nurse them i'll take care of them i'll beg for them oh what would i not do for them and while speaking she bent over young con's bed and clasping her hands and wringing them several times she repeated oh what i wouldn't do for you may god bless you best of girls whoever you are come now i'm ready ay said sarah running over to him that's right i'll break the bitter news to them as well as it can be done come now the old man stood in the midst of his desolation with his hat in his hand and he looked towards the beds poor things he exclaimed what a change has come over you for what you wanst and that not long since were never my darling children oh never did one harsh or undutiful word come from your lips to your unhappy father in my old age and misery i'm now leaving you maybe forever never maybe to see you again in this world and oh my god if we are never to meet in the other if the innocent and the guilty is never to meet then this is my last look at you for everlasting for everlasting i can't do it he added weeping bitterly i must take my leave of them i must kiss their lips sarah while he spoke had uttered two or three convulsive sobs but she shed no tears 
on the contrary her eyes were singularly animated and brilliant she put her arms about him and said in a soothing and solicitous tone oh no it's all true but if you kiss them you'll disturb and waken them and then you know when they see you taken away in this manner and here's what it's for it may be their death true achora true well i will only look at them then let me keep my eyes on them for a little maybe they may go first and maybe i may go first the last time may be for everlasting that i'll see them he went over as he spoke sarah still having her hand upon his arm as if to intimate her anxiety to keep him under such control as might prevent him from awakening them and standing first over the miserable bed where nancy slept he looked down upon her ay said he while the tears showered down his cheeks there lies the child that never vexed a parent's heart or ruffled one of our tempers may the blessin' if it is a blessin' or can be a blessin' it is it is said sarah with a quick short sob it is a blessin' and a holy blessin' but bless him bless him too may my blessin' rest upon you or rather may the blessin' of almighty god rest upon you daughter of my heart and you too he proceeded turning to the other bed here is him that among them all i loved the best my youngest and called after myself may my blessin' and the blessin' of god and my saviour rest upon you my darling son and if i never see either of you in this unhappy world grant o merciful father that we may meet in the glory of heaven when that stain will be taken away from me for that crime that i have repented for so long and so bitterly sarah while he spoke had let go his arm and placing her two hands over her eyes her whole breast quivered and the men on looking at her saw the tears gushing out in torrents from between her fingers she turned round however for a few moments as if to compose herself and when she again approached the old man there was a smile a smile brilliant but agitated in her eyes and upon her lips there now she proceeded you have said all you can say come go with them ah she exclaimed with a start of pain all we've done or tried to do is lost i doubt here's his wife and daughter come out now said she addressing him say a word or two to them outside just as she spoke mrs dalton and the poor invalid mary entered the house the one with some scanty supply of food and the other bearing a live coal between two turf one under and the other over it wait said sarah i'll speak to them before they come in and ere the words were uttered she met them come here mrs dalton said she stop a minute speak to this poor girl and support her these soldiers and the constables inside is come about sullivan's business long ago i know it replied mrs dalton i've just heard all about it there beyond but she pointing to her daughter has only crossed the ditch from the commons and joined me this minute give me these said sarah to the girl and stay here till i come out again wet as it is your mother will tell you why she took the fire from her as she spoke and running in laid it upon the hearth placing at the same time two or three turf about in a hurried manner but still in a way that argued great presence of mind amid all her distraction on going out again however the first object she saw was one of the soldiers supporting the body of poor mary who had sunk under the intelligence mrs dalton having entered the cabin and laid down the miserable pittance of food which she had been carrying now waved her hand with authority and singular calmness but at the same time with a face as pallid as death itself this is a solemn hour said she and a woeful sight 
in this place of misery. Keep quiet, all of you. I know what this is about, dear Condy, she said. I know it. But what is the value of our faith if it doesn't teach us obedience? Kiss your child here, said she, and go, or come, I ought to say, for I will go with you. It's not to be wondered at that she couldn't bear it, weak and worn and dearly heartbroken as she is. Bless her too before you go. And this girl, she said, pointing at Mary and addressing Sarah, you will speak to her and support her as well as you can, and stay with them all for an hour or two. I can't leave him. Dalton, while she spoke, had taken Mary in his arms, kissed her, and, as in the case of the others, blessed her with a fervor only surpassed by his sorrow and utter despair. I will stay with them, said Sarah. Don't doubt that. Not for an hour or two, but till they come to either life or death. So I told him. It's a bitter case, said Mrs. Dalton, a bitter case. But then it's God's gracious will, and them that he loves, he chastises. Blessed be his name for all he does, and blessed be his name forever for this. Mary now recovered in her father's arms, and her mother, in a low but energetic voice, pointing to the beds, said, Think of them, darling. There now, part with him. This world, I often told you, dear Mary, is not our place, but our passage. And, although it's painful, let us not forget that it is God himself that is guiding and directing us through it. Come, Con, dear, come. A long, mournful embrace, and another sorrowful but fervent blessing, and with a feeble effort at consolation, Dalton parted with the weeping girl, and placing his hat on his white head, he gave one long look, one indescribable look, upon all that was so dear to him in this scene of unutterable misery, and departed. He had not gone far, however, when he returned a step or two towards the door, and Mary, having noticed this, went to him, and throwing her arms once more about his neck, exclaimed, O oh, father, darling, and is it come to this? Oh, did we ever complain or grumble about all we suffered while we had you with us? No, we wouldn't. What was our sufferings, father dear? Nothing, but, oh, nothing ever broke our hearts or troubled us, but to see you in such sorrow. It's true, Mary, darling, you were all, all a blessing to me, but I feel, treasure of my heart, that my sorrows and my cares will soon be over. It's about Tom I come back. Och, sure I don't care what he or we might suffer, if it had pleased God to leave him in his senses. But maybe now he's happier than we are. Tell him, if he can understand it, or when he does understand it, that I leave my blessing and God's blessing with him forevermore, forevermore, and with you all, and with you too, young woman, for evermore, amen. And now come, I submit myself to the will of my merciful Saviour. He looked up to heaven as he spoke, his two hands raised aloft, after which he covered his venerable head, and with this pious and noble instance of resignation did the affectionate old man proceed as well as his feeble limbs could support him to the county prison accompanied by his pious and truly christian wife as the men were about to go he who had addressed sarah so rudely approached her with as much regret on his face as its hardened and habitual indifference to human misery could express, and said, tapping her on the shoulder, I was rather rough to you just now, my pretty girl, to be jabbers, it is you that is the pretty girl. I don't know, by the way, how the old black prophet came by the likes of you, but then he was a handsome vagabond his day himself, and you are like him. "'What do you want to say?' she asked impatiently. "'But stand outside. I won't speak to you here. "'Your voice would waken a corpse. "'Here now,' she added, having gone out upon the causeway. "'What is it?' "'Why, devil a thing,' he replied. 
only you're a better girl than I took you to be. It's a pitiful case, this, a woeful case, at his time of life. Be heaveners, but I'd rather a thousand times see black boy, your own precious father, swing than this poor old man. A moment's temporary fury was visible, but she paused, and it passed away, after which she returned slowly and thoughtfully into the cabin. It is unnecessary to say that almost immediately the general rumor of Dalton's arrest for the murder had gone through the whole parish, together with the fact that it was upon the evidence of the black prophet and red Roddy Duncan that the proof of it had been brought home to him. Upon the former occasion there had been nothing against him, but such circumstances of strong suspicion as justified the neighboring magistrates in having him taken into custody on this however the two men were ready to point out the identical spot where the body had been buried and to identify it as that of bartholomew sullivan nothing remained therefore now that dalton was in custody but to hold an inquest upon the remains and to take the usual steps for the trial of dalton at the following assizes which were not very far distant indeed notwithstanding the desolation that prevailed throughout the country and in spite of the care and sorrow which disease and death brought home to so many in the neighborhood there was a very general feeling of compassion experienced for poor old dalton and his afflicted family and among those who sympathized with them there was scarcely one who expressed himself more strongly upon the subject than mr travers the head agent of the property on which they had lived especially upon contrasting the extensive farm and respectable residence from which their middleman landlord had so harshly and unjustly ejected them with the squalid kennel in which they then endured such a painful and pitiable existence this gentleman had come to the neighborhood in order to look closely into the condition of the property which had been entrusted to his management in consequence of a great number of leases having expired some of which had been held by extensive and wealthy middlemen among the latter of whom was our friend dick of the grange the estate was the property of an english nobleman who derived an income of thirty-two or thirty-three thousand a year from it and who though as landlords went was not in many respects a bad one yet when called upon to aid in relieving the misery of those from whose toil he drew so large an income did actually remit the munificent sum of one hundred pounds a recent fact the agent himself was one of those men who are capable of a just but not of a generous action he could for instance sympathize with the frightful condition of the people but to contribute to their relief was no part of his duty yet he was not a bad man in his transactions with his landlord's tenancy he was fair impartial and considerate whenever he could do a good turn or render a service without touching his purse he would do it he had it is true very little intercourse with the poorer classes of under-tenants but whenever circumstances happened to bring them before him they found him a hard just man who paid attention to their complaints but who in a case of doubt always preferred the interest of his employer or his own to theirs he had received many complaints and statements against the middlemen who resided upon the property and he had duly and carefully considered them his present visit therefore proceeded from a determination to look closely into the state and condition of the general tenancy by which he meant as well those who derived immediately from the head landlord as those who held under middlemen one virtue he possessed which in an agent deserves every praise he was inaccessible to bribery on the one hand or flattery on the other and he never permitted his religious or political principles to degenerate into prejudice 
so far as to interfere with the impartial discharge of his duty such was robert james travers esq and we only wish that every agent in the country at large would follow his example chapter twenty two reappearance of the box friendly dialogue between jimmy brannigan and the peddler the next morning but one after the committal of condy dalton the strange woman who had manifested such an anxious interest in the recovery of the tobacco-box was seated at her humble fireside in a larger and more convenient cottage than that which we have described where she was soon joined by charlie hanlon who had already made it so comfortable and convenient that she was able to contribute something towards her own support by letting what are termed in the country parts of ireland dry lodgings her only lodger on this occasion was our friend the peddler who had been domiciled with her ever since his arrival in the neighbourhood and whose principal traffic we may observe consisted in purchasing the flowing and luxuriant heads of hair which necessity on the one hand and fear of fever on the other induced the country maidens to part with this traffic indeed was very general during the period we are describing the fact being that the poor people especially the females had conceived a notion and not a very unreasonable one too that a large crop of hair not only predisposed them to the fever which then prevailed but rendered their recovery from it more difficult these notions to be sure resulted naturally enough from the treatment which medical men found it necessary to adopt in dealing with it every one being aware that in order to relieve the head whether by blister or other application it is necessary to remove the hair be this however as it may it is our duty to state here that the traffic we allude to was very general and that many a lovely and luxuriant crop came under the shears of the peddler who then strolled through the country after all aunt said hanlon after having bidden her good morrow i'm afraid it was a foolish weakness to depend upon a dream i see nothing clear in the business yet here now we have got the box and what are we the nearer to the discovery well replied his aunt for in that relation she stood to him is it nothing to get even that sure we know now that it was his and do you think that mcgowan or as they call him the black prophet would be in such a state to get it and his wife too it seems unless there was some reason on their part beyond the common to come at it it's a dark business altogether but aren't we thrown out of all trace of it in the meantime just when we thought ourselves on the straight road to the discovery it turns out to be another and a different murder entirely the murder of one sullivan at this moment the peddler who had been dressing himself in another small apartment made his appearance just in time to catch his concluding words and now hanlon added it appears that sullivan's body has been found at last the black prophet and body duncan knows all about the murder and can prove the act home to condy dalton and identify the body they say besides the peddler looked at the speakers with a face of much curiosity and interest then mused for a time and at length took a turn or two about the floor after which he sat down and began to drum his fingers on the little table which had been placed for breakfast after i get my breakfast he said at length i'll thank you to let me know what i have to pay it's not my intention to stop under this roof any longer i don't think i'd be overly safe safe arrah why so asked the woman why he replied ever since i came here you have done nothing but collogue collogue and whisper and lay your heads together and divil a sibyl can i hear that hasn't murder at the front and rear of it either speak out or get me my bill 
if you're of that stamp it's time for me to travel not that i'm so rich as to make it worth anybody's while to take the mouthful of wind out of me that's in me what do you mean by this discourse may god rest the souls of the dead replied the woman but it's not for nothing that we talk as we do and if you knew but all you wouldn't think so very likely he replied in a dry but dissatisfied voice maybe sure enough that the more i'd know of it the less i'd like of it here now is a man named sullivan barney bill or bartley or some such name that has been murdered and it seems the murderer was sent to gaol yesterday evening the villain get me my bill i say it's an unsafe neighbourhood and i'll take myself out of it while i'm able it's not without reason we talk of murder then replied the woman faith maybe so but get my bill then i bid you and in the meantime let me have my breakfast as it is i tell you both that i carry no money to signify about me tell him the truth aunt said hanlon there's no use in lying under his suspicion wrongfully or allowing him to leave your little place for no reason the truth is then she proceeded throwing the corner of her apron over her left shoulder and rocking herself to and fro that this young man had a dream some time ago he dreamt that a near and dear friend of his and a mine too that was murdered in this neighbourhood appeared to him and that he desired him to go out of a certain night at the hour of midnight to a stone near this called the grey stone and there he would get a clue to the murderer well and did he he went and-but you had better tell it yourself avilish she added addressing hanlon you know best the pedlar instantly fixed his anxious and lively eyes on the young man intimating that he looked to him for the rest of the story i went proceeded hanlon and you shall hear everything that happened it is unnecessary for us however to go over the same ground a second time hanlon minutely detailed all that had taken place at the greystone precisely as it occurred if we allow for a slight exaggeration occasioned by his terrors and the impressions of supernatural manifestations which they left upon his imagination the pedlar heard all the circumstances with an astonishment which changed his whole bearing into that of deep awe and the most breathless attention the previous eccentricity of his manner by degrees abandoned him and as hanlon proceeded he frequently looked at him in a state of abstraction then raised his eyes towards heaven uttering from time to time merciful father heaven preserve us and such like thus accompanying him by a running comment of exclamations as he went along well said he when hanlon had concluded surely the hand of god is in this business you may take that for granted i would fain hope as much replied hanlon but as the matters stand now we're nearly as far from it as ever instead of getting any knowledge of the murderer we want to discover it proves to be that the murder of sullivan has been found out oh sullivan he exclaimed well to be sure oh i well sure that same is something but in the meantime will you let me look at this box you spoke of i feel a curiosity to see it hanlon rose and taking the box from a small deal chest which was strongly locked placed it in the pedlar's hands after examining it closely for about half a minute they could observe that he got very pale and his hands began to tremble as he held and turned it about in a manner that was very remarkable do you say he asked in an agitated voice that you have no means of tracing the murder none more than what we've told you did this box belong to the murdered man i mean do you think he had it about him at the time of his death ay and for some time before it replied the woman it's all belonging to him that we can find now
and you got it in the keepin of this mcgowan the black prophet you say we did replied the woman from his daughter at all events who is this black prophet he asked or what is he for that comes nearer the mark where did he come from where does he live and and what way does he earn his bread the boy here she replied pointing to hanlon can tell you that better than i can for although i've been at his place three or four times i never laid eyes on him yet well continued the pedlar you have both a right to be thankful that you told me this i now see the hand of god in the whole business i know this box and i can tell you something that will surprise you more than that listen but wait i hear somebody's foot no matter i'll surprise you both by and by god save all here said the voice of our friend jimmy brannigan who immediately entered in truth this change is for the better at any rate said he looking at the house i gave you a lift with the master yesterday he added turning to the woman i think i'll get him to throw the ten shillings off he as good as promised me he would master exclaimed the pedlar bitterly oh thin it's he that's the devil's master by all accounts and the devil's landlord too be me soul he'll get a warm corner down here and as he uttered the words he very significantly stamped with his heel to intimate the geographical position of the place alluded to it would be only manners to wait till your opinion is axed of him replied jimmy so mind your pack you poor sprisson or when you do speak endeavor to know something of what you're discoursin about master indeed devil take your impudence he's a scourge to the country continued the pedlar a worse landlord never faced the sun that's what we call in this part of the country a lie replied jimmy do you understand what that means no one knows what an outrageous old blackguard he is better than yourself proceeded the pedlar and how he harasses the poor that's ditto repeated responded jimmy you're improvin but tell me now do you know any one that he harassed this was indeed a hazardous question on the part of jimmy who by the way put it solely upon the presumption of the peddler's ignorance of dick's proceedings as a landlord in consequence of his the peddler's being a stranger who did you ever know that he harassed if you please look at the daltons replied the other what do you call his conduct to them jimmy who whenever he felt himself deficient in truth always made up for the want of it by warmth of temper now turned shortly upon his antagonist and replied in a spirit very wide of the argument what do i call his conduct to them what do you call the nose on your face you codger divil a such an impudent creature ever i met it would be no wonder that the curse of god would come on him for his treatment to that unfortunate and respectable family responded the pedlar the curse of god knows where to fall best replied jimmy or it's not in the county jail old condy dalton'd be for murder this day but returned the other isn't it a disgraceful thing to be as they say he and yourself is a pair of scourges in the hand of god for your fellow-creatures and in truth you're both fit for it by all accounts truth replied jimmy whose gall was fast rising it's a scourge with nine tails to it ought to go to your back the daltons deserved all they got at his hands and the same pack was never anything else than a hot-brained crew that'd knock you on the head to-day and groan over you to-morrow he served them right and he's a liar that says to the contrary so if you have a pocket for that put it in it jimmy in fact was now getting rapidly into a towering passion for it mattered little how high in violence his own pitched 
battles with dick ran he never suffered nor could suffer a human being to abuse his master behind his back but himself so confirmed however by habit was his spirit of contradiction that had the peddler began to praise dick jimmy would immediately have attacked him without remorse and scarcely have left a rag of his character together End of section 10